1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Great. How about yourself? I'm all right. You know, I was uh, entertaining the idea of doing a a different introduction to the show Hmm. uh, after I saw a a snippet of, um, was it Will Arnett. Um, sort of deep voice guy that does GMC commercials. Yeah, from Arrested Development. Yes. He was on Howard Stern or like Stern pushed out a clip of Will Arnett on the show. It's probably a very old clip and Stern asked him like, oh, do, you, do your voiceover voice? And he's like, GMC, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm like, man, I wish my voice could sound like uh, that. But if I did, it would be like, Hey everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Chat podcast.
0: And the answer is no—a resounding no. We're not it's doing like, that.
1: It's like that's really hard to do for the entire Lournette show.
0: that voices the the Batman in the Lego Bat, like the Lego Movie Batman. I'm Batman. Yeah, he's really good at doing that specific I mean, deep voice. He's not doing a podcast for twenty five minutes each week. Correct. I mean, I could, but no. Well, yeah, well, it's Watch already... Watch out for your vocal cords. My voice is already high and prissy as it oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. <laughs> high
1: and prissy. That's the way i describe it. I, I do have to say, and then I, we will get to the show, I promise <laughs> everyone. But I, as a child and as a teenager, as a young person, I was so obsessed with how I thought my voice sounded incredibly gay mm. and, like, girly and I got over that a long time ago, and I think a lot of it was just from the fact that, like, no, my voice doesn't—maybe it does. I don't really care. But, like, I think a lot of that was, like, couched in the we-don't-hear-ourselves-enough
0: recorded— And we don't hear ourselves, like, what we actually sound like. No, no. In my it, brain, my voice is definitely different than when I hear it back. Right. In my brain, my voice sounds
1: deeper. But now I've gotten to the point where I've heard my voice so much on video and mm-hmm. audio. To me, it just doesn't even register as like anything mm-hmm. weird anymore. Yep. Even though you listening right now could be could could be thinking to yourself, you flaming queen. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> or you should be self-conscious about your <laughs> voice. Yeah. yeah. My, my God, your voice sounds terrible. <laughs> Why in the world
1: do you have oh. a podcast? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, everybody. As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. (laughs) is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got news on the Billboard 200 Albums chart where Luke Combs leads a busy top 10 as his new album joins three more new arrivals to the region, while Bad Bunny bounces back to number one for a third non-consecutive week. Okay, truth be told, Bad Bunny Ashley leads the top 10, but Luke Combs leads the debuts in the top 10. That's what <laughs> I meant and I think you knew what I meant. Plus, on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, while As It Was from Harry Styles returns to number one, Beyonce lands her 20th top 10 as a soloist as Break My Soul vaults 15 to seven. In addition to all that, we've got a chart updates on Lizzo, Doja Cat, Taylor Swift, Lil Nas X, and Young Boy Never Broke Again, and Eminem and Snoop Dogg's new single.
0: Also on the show, speaking of Beyonce, as she scores that 20th top 10 on the Hot 100, we're looking back on her time in Destiny's Child, with whom she scored another 10 top 10 hits on the Hot 100. Do you remember all 10? Stick around for our little trip down Beyonce memory lane. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts for Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. It's a trip down Destiny Lane. Destiny Lane. Destiny Lane. That,
1: that sounds like an actress's name. Like, it's
0: like a soap opera actress. Like guest
1: starring this week on All My Children, Destiny Lane. <laughs> will she Will she wake up from her coma that was medically induced? Or will she fade away into, I mean, in destiny, anyway. All right, well, first up, let's do the chart chat. First up on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, Bad Bunnies, Un Verano Ti." Great job, Keith. Thank you. Bounces back to number one. By the time I get it down, it will be <laughs> off the chart. Bounces back to number one on the list, dated July 9th, I'm having a hard time today, for a third non-consecutive week on top as the set climbs two to one in its eighth week. The album earned 115,000 equivalent album units in the United States in the week ending June 30th, and that's down 5%, according to Luminate. Wow, Bad Bunny. Bad Bunny. Just like the uh, Energizer Bunny. just keeps Mm, on going. uh, Just so dominant. That's just, wow. Yeah. Well, he leads a busy top 10 as four albums debut in the region. Luke Combs' Growing Up starts at number two. Chris Brown's Breezy bows at number four. Nayeon's... I hope I'm getting that pronounced correctly, solo debut, I'm Nyon, enters at number seven, and Conan Gray's Super 8 starts at number nine. Nyon is from Twice, right? Yes. Yeah, the K-pop group Twice. She's the first, I believe, the first member of the K-pop girl group Twice to uh, release a solo album.
0: Yeah, and there's a bunch of um, like interesting pop features on there, too. I think that um, there's a girl from Little Mix on a song. Hmm. Yeah, so she's, yeah, and- Good Good job, Nyan. I I
1: noted this. It's also the top-selling album of the week, and I I noted this online in my story on Sunday. Uh, The album, almost all of the sales, most of the activity around the album was around its physical CD sales. There wasn't a whole ton of streaming activity. There was some, but not tons. And of the album sales, it was like almost entirely CD album sales, and I note... It's sort of typical for K-pop albums, some you know some big ones to be released in very cool collectible CD formats. And this particular one had 17 different versions of the oh, CD. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean it was all the same audio. It was just uh, different, different packaging, different covers, different things inside, different photo cards to collect. It's you know it's K-pop. Yep. All right. Well. Back to Bad Bunny, uh, the all-Spanish language album uh, that he has at number one this week is also the second mostly or all non-English language album to spend more than a single week at number one. And obviously, this is its third week at number one. I should have noted this factoid when it had its second week at number one, but I didn't. (laughs) Uh, The first uh, album that was mostly or or all non-English that had more than one week at number one was in 1964, it was the Singing Nun's self-titled all-French album.
0: Uh, I'm just so glad you did not do a quiz, Katie, for this one, Keith, because <laughs> you could have given me all the guesses in the world and I would not have come up with the Singing Nun. What, you know, we, we joke
1: about, we, I, don't, I don't think we joke about, but, you know, we sometimes may kind of look quizzically at something on the charts today and say how in the world is that thing on the chart? it's like, oh, because it's a TikTok meme and a yada, yada, yada. Well, the Singing Nun was like a pop culture phenomenon in 1964 and had a random number one album for 10 weeks. 10 weeks? 10 weeks over the Christmas period of 1963 on through February of 1964. Which means Bad Bunny has seven more weeks to go to match the Singing Nun's records. Yeah, in total, there have been 15 Mostly or all non-English language albums to reach number one on the Billboard 200 since it became the first two to have multi-weeks. Correct, and 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 that 15 count is from when the chart started publishing on a regular weekly basis in March of 1956.
0: Here's the thing: I had heard of the singing nun before, but I did not know that that was in French. Yeah, that that's a new fact for me. So here I am, you know. Now I'm now I'm sixty years later. (laughs) You know, we weren't around then. Crazy. All right,
1: next, uh, we've got some bits and bobs for you in the world of chart news. Lizzo's About Damn Time jumps five to three on the Billboard Hot 100. love that. A new peak for the song. The track also jumps to number one on the pop airplay chart. It's her third number one on that list following Good As Hell and Truth Hurts, both in 2019.
0: I'm happy it's getting its due. It's such a good song. It's so fun. It kind of feels like... It's gonna hold on long enough where it might get to number one. Yeah,
1: just because the it's it has such strong radio airplay. Yep, and it's I mean it's but it'll also depend on like what other random humongous albums drop in the next few weeks. Oh,
0: I wonder what other random humongous albums are coming soon. Well, aside from, aside from Beyonce. I mean, there's a
1: couple weeks in between. Like, maybe Lizzo could... It depends on how Harry does. Yeah, You know, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doja Cat's Vegas, from the soundtrack to the new Elvis film, vaults from number 67 to number 34 on the Hot 100, becoming her 12th top 40 charting hit. And remarkably, all 12 of those have come since March... 7th of 2020. So basically just a little over 2 years she's accumulated a dozen top 40 hits. Yeah, that's a lot. Yep. Though it's not the most. And um, there's many many other artists who have had that many, but in terms of just your career started mm-hmm. on the chart like basically on the chart just a little over 2 years ago in terms of like earnestly it charted it started and you've already had that many hits. Yeah. And also most of
0: her success came sort of in the era of COVID. Like, wow. Well, I mean, Planet Her was released in summer of 2021. And we've talked on this podcast about how insane this, like, the long, you know, burning success of the singles off of that album are. I mean, they're still, I think, putting some out. And now she has this one from Elvis, too. So just, you know, you can't go anywhere without hearing Doja. And I yeah, like it. That's all right. Uh, Taylor Swift's new song, Carolina, from the movie Where the
1: Crawdads Sing. We talked about it last week on the show and how it's uh, maybe a possible Oscar contender for best original song. It debuts at number 60 on the Hot 100, marking Swift's 168th charting song on the list. She continues to have the most charting hits on the Hot 100 among women. Eminem and Snoop Dogg's collaboration from the D to the LBC debuts at number 72 on the Hot 100, and somewhat unbelievably, it appears to be only the second time that they have been on an officially released track together. Uh, The first was, uh, Well, Bitch bitch Please too. I'll say it for you, Keith. Katie can say it. From Eminem's (laughs) album, The Marshall Mathers LP, which was released in 2000. And as that single actually didn't chart on the Hot 100, or that song didn't chart on the Hot 100, that means the new track is the first time Eminem and
0: Snoop have been credited on a Hot 100 hit together. Yep, that's... I mean, you're about to say this, but I I can say it, though, honestly. Like, the, the thing that is unbelievable about it is that all roads lead to Dr. Dre with these two. They both were like the protégés of Dr. Dre when they came out. And so you just assume especially when you think about like the chronic 2001 and like the all the features from Snoop, all the features from M on separate Dre songs. You just kind of Conflate them yeah. and think that, of course, they were on many songs together, right? But no.
1: But no. Um, yeah, as Katie just said, and, and here's my sort of chart angle, despite Eminem's close association with uh, Dr. Dre, um, as he introduced us to Snoop in 1992, uh, it's wild that they've never had a song on the Hot 100 together. On the other hand, Eminem has charted seven different Hot 100 hits alongside Dr. Dre, including, of course, Forgot About Dre. And uh, finally, in my uh, Bits and Bobs uh, section, hmm. we're not done with the chart news. I got a lot this week. <laughs> Little Nas X and Young Boy Never Broke Again's collaborative single, Late to the Party, F-B-E-T, <laughs> debuts at number 67 to on the Hot <laughs> 100. We're not going to get ourselves in trouble with B-E-T. <laughs> the track's title refers to Little Nas X's snub at the recent B-E-T Awards, where he didn't garner a nomination. Though, the song itself isn't really about BET. It's just kind of the song title. Well, it's directed. I mean, there are lines that are directed at them. Yes, the content of the song, though. <laughs> and then
0: he literally just repeats F-B-E-T yeah. over and over again, I mean, in the beginning and the end. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> I, it could have been one of those things where, like, maybe the song had been done and then they co-opted it. Attacked it on. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. I don't know. I haven't asked Lil Nas X, <laughs> as a, you know, what what the true meaning of the song is. All that said. It's Lil Nas X's 16th Hot 100 hit and the 81st for Young Boy Never Broke Again. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's also the power of streaming. It's also the first time the BET network has ever found itself in the title of a charting song on the Hot 100. I'm
0: sure they're pumped. Yeah, <laughs> super stoked. <laughs> all all press is good press,
1: mm. right? <laughs> uh, you might be curious, as I was. BET's sister networks, MTV and VH1, have never been in a title on the Hot 100. Uh, neither has ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, or the CW, or even PBS. You're not counting, like, the Jackson 5's, ABC? That's not about, oh, not. <laughs> not about the network. It's not about the network? No. Um, all that said, Bruce Springsteen did have a Hot 100 hit in 1992 with the single 57 Channels and Nothing On. And Dire Straits, of course, went to number one on the Hot 100 in 1985 with the single Money for Nothing, which starts with the introductory vocals from Sting, who is not part of Dire Straits. He just did a guest vocal on this, who uh, hauntingly sings I want my... I want my MTV. Oh, man. Sting, I'm so sorry. He basically just says, Hopefully I want... he w-. comes back on the podcast. Yeah. He, he, I mean, Katie, can you do it? No, I'd rather not. See? All right. <laughs> then you can't laugh at me. Um, it was, And that was that I want my MTV was riffing on the then popular ad slogan for MTV in which Sting himself starred in where his band, The Police, would exclaim to viewers, I want my MTV basically encouraging viewers at home to get MTV added to their local cable channel lineup because at the time MTV was not offered coast to coast across all cable providers.
0: I have to say, I have two side notes. The first side note is when I worked at MTV for seven years and the my last day at the office, I got in my car, started driving away, and Money for Nothing came on the radio. Wow. And I was like, I was like crying. <laughs> I was like a hot mess. Anyway, that was my one side note. But the other thing was while I was working at MTV, um, Kanye put out, The Good Life with T-Pain. And I am sure it was just subconscious. I was certain that the lyrics were when T-Pain says, I'm gonna get on that TV, mama. I thought he was saying forever. I'm gonna get on MTV, mama. And I like, like just thought, I just took it like as fact that that's what he said. And I don't know what, Made me realize that that was not the lyrics, and I was like, wow, I guess like MTV had just wormed its way into my head so much that that's what I thought he said. So mm-hmm. he didn't say that though, just FYI. He said, I'm gonna get on this TV, Mama, actually was the lyric. Oh. I guess. He just wanted to be on TV. Just a- a- any TV. ATV. ATV.
1: Not MTV. Like closed circuit television <laughs> at the Best Buy down the street. Right, right.
0: <laughs> Anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right well lastly over on the uh, hot 100 uh, I've, I've sort of mentioned this already but uh harry styles as it was rebounds back to number one for an eighth non-consecutive week uh it goes two to one meanwhile beyonce's break my soul jumps 15 to 7 giving beyonce her 20th solo top 10 on the chart following the track's first full week of activity It premiered uh, on June 20th, um, so it actually debuted on the chart a week ago from, like, only a handful of days of activity. Beyoncé now has twice the number of top tens on the Hot 100 than the group which introduced us to her, Destiny's Child. Uh, By the way, Destiny's Child made their Billboard chart debut 25 years ago this year... In 1997, when No, No, No hit an array of charts that November, Beyoncé was last in the top 10 in a lead role with Formation in May of 2016. Also notably, as Hot 100 chart manager Gary Truss notes online on Billboard.com, Break My Soul contains elements of Robin S.'s early 90s pop house classic Show Me Love, which was co-written and produced by Alan George and Fred McFarlane. The latter two receive songwriting credit on Beyonce's latest single and rank in the top 10 as songwriters for the first time since Show Me Love hit number five in June of 1993.
0: Love that. So as Keith mentioned, aside from her 20 solo top 10 hits on the Hot 100, Beyonce also scored another 10 top 10 hits during her time with Destiny's Child. And since we're celebrating all things Queen B, we thought we'd look back on those 10 Destiny's Child hits, starting with the very first, which Keith already mentioned, No No No, which debuted in November 1997 on the Hot 100 and peaked at number three in March 1998. We've done a chart set on this before. I feel like we had talked... Oh, there's a remix. Is that what you're going
1: to say? Yeah, I was just... I was going to ramble about the remix saying that No 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 initially came out as like a ballad and then Wyclef Sean remixed Mm -hmm. it and I feel like they may have even re-recorded new vocals for it, which turned it into kind of like a mid-tempo, like different kind of track. Ultimately, all the versions at that time combined together. We had different chart rules at the time. Mm. And it was the remix, really, that propelled No, No, No to number three on the Hot 100.
0: Interesting. I remember an interview with Destiny's Child after that where they talked about how pumped they were because Wycliffe calls them the Young Supremes in that remix, in the lyric. And they were like, oh, and you know what? pretty apt description in the end. Yeah. Like complete with their very own Diana, who we're talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that um that one peaked at number three. The next one, Jump and Jumpin', which can we just talk about what a jam this song is? Ladies leave your man at home. <laughs> like even my mom loved this song. So Jumpin' Jumpin' debuted in May two thousand and then peaked at number three as well in August two thousand. And I saw them in concert during this summer. At Michigan State which is the college I eventually attended but I this was before I went to Michigan State and they played it like a tiny auditorium on our university's campus just a place that they never ever would have set foot on like you know probably six months after that would have been too small for them so anyway just saw them in like the peakest of peak times for them it was so much fun um did you ever see them in concert Um, no. No? No. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Keith, can you hit me with the next song in this list, please?
1: Sure. Um, Say My Name. It debuted in December of 1999 and hit the top of the chart in March of 2000 and spent three weeks atop the tally.
0: Now, that also was classic. And that one I remember so vividly from um, TRL.
1: Yeah, the music video was all over TRL. That was also the first time. That was the first
0: video. That Michelle was in. Was but that it, also the first video where the two former members were gone? Okay, so so there were four women in this video, and so I think that the fourth. Um, let's look who it was.
1: But Michelle was in the video. Oh yeah, 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 that was Michelle's debut, because she was not in Jumpin' Jumpin'. It gets a little bit it gets a little bit funky there because the the vocals
0: were the other members. Like yes, Michelle wasn't was on ju- the vocals. Michelle was lip syncing effectively. Yes. All right. So, but I want to double check because we're, there we go. So it was Michelle Williams and Farrah Franklin who were in the video because they had since joined the group, but actually on the vocals, it was Latoya Luckett and Latavia Robertson. So those, those two recorded it with the group were unceremoniously dismissed from the group. And then Michelle Williams and Farrah Jenkins or no, not fair. me Franklin. Franklin. Sorry, I just looked at Roddy Jenkins' name and or Jerkins' name Jerkins. and said Jenkins, Farrah Frank Franklin. But then Farrah was also dismissed from the group, and we ended up with the trio that we now know so today. Think, so,
1: so say my name was the only video that Farrah was in. I think that's correct. Possibly. Yeah,
0: and it's and it's such a vivid video, like. That you can ex- You remember There's four people in it Like it's Yeah they each
1: have Their own color coded room
0: Exactly So it's it's like very obvious so I feel like sometimes It's not always obvious Like you know If there's backup members Of a group Hanging in the back Or whatever But this was like Four We've yeah. got four people And then they didn't Have four We're people We're gonna anymore. like Fully give them a showcase So you, ident- you can immediately Identify yeah. all four of them get, Very individually Get to know Farah <laughs> So you can be Intimately familiar with her For <laughs> six months <laughs> If that uh, Oh well Alright okay. Moving on Another number one for the group was Independent Women Part 1 which debuted in September 2000 on the Hot 100 and then hit number 1 in November 2000 and Keith how many weeks was the song at number 1 for 11 11 weeks I did not know that that is a long time especially in that particular era Yeah it was it also had a curious chart run where
1: like it it was number 1 for 11 weeks and then it quickly Evaporated from the
0: chart. That's so wild.
1: It, it was one of those weird things where it spent so
0: much time at number one, and then people were like, "We're done." And it was on the Charlie's Angels soundtrack, right? Yes, that's the where first it came Charlie Jane, Charlie's Angels mm-hmm. movie, I believe. But then obviously it was released as a single. Although back was this part of the did they had they transitioned off the needed to be commercially released as a single part? Yet? Yeah, that
1: that, that yeah. The, well, this yeah the 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 Hot 100 transitioned away from having to be. Uh, commercially available single in December of 1998. Okay, so there you go. But this might have been, I think this might have had a physical single, Mm -hmm. maybe? Yeah. I'm not really sure. I can't really remember. (laughs) I mean, Uh, though I did work here at the time. (laughs) We
0: don't need to get into it. I don't remember. Okay, so the next one is from an interesting era. Keith, you you go for this one. Oh, well, uh, so uh, Lose My Breath.
1: Uh, it, It debuted in September of 2004, and it peaked at number three in October of 2004. That was the first single from the Destiny Fulfilled album correct, which, which was, was the first album from Destiny's Child after Beyonce had made her solo debut with correct. Dangerously in Love in 2002
0: 3 It has been a real yeah 2003 yeah. it's been a real like we talked about um I don't know if it was last week or 2 weeks ago that we discussed like you know, the fact that a lot of people might not realize that Beyonce had her solo debut and then there was a Destiny's Child album after that. Um, but this was the big moment from that Destiny's Child. Well, it was one of them. There's another song coming up that was also from Destiny Fulfilled. Um, but that's the next one, isn't it? What is the order of this, Katie? Uh, this is actually the um, the order um, of, uh, like, on our Hot 100 history. So these are the big, this is an order of their biggest hits. Like this, according to our chart pages, which are questionable. Just ignore the
1: (laughs) ignore the the uh, the way that we've listed this, because this is in no real order, Okay, because we're jumping around in terms of time and space (laughs) as well as where they peaked on the chart Uh, because we're not going chronologically. No, um, we're not. No. So the next single is Soldier featuring T.I. and Lil Wayne. Uh, that was also from Destiny Fulfilled. Yes. It, it debuted in November of 2004, peaked at number three in February of 2005. I Need a Soldier. That's a great song. Destiny's Child generally makes great music.
0: Yeah, I guess I could say that for every song on here. But I think Soldier was like their most hip hop song. I mean, obviously it features T.I. and Lil Wayne, but it felt like it felt like it really foretold kind of like Beyonce's general direction, too, because there are some Beyonce songs that you could just straight up classify as hip hop like. Beyonce is like secretly one of our greatest MCs of all time. (laughs) And I feel like Soldier sort of foretold that direction for her, which of course makes sense with, uh, she's married to Flippin' Jay-Z. I mean, uh, you know, one of her first, or her very first uh, song credited as Beyonce on the chart was... uh, Her first charting Hot 100 hit was 03 03, Bonnie and and Clyde Clyde featuring Jay-Z. So yeah, so this is not a surprise, but it felt like that was like cementing that direction for sure. And the next one, Keith. Well, the next one on this list that is not That organized. is not in any order. Don't worry about We're my order. We're just keeping you on your toes. Yeah, Which that's... one are we going to forget? But, Keith, this was a cover, right?
1: Yeah, Emotion. Uh, it, it is a cover of a song that was originally performed by Samantha Sang in the 1970s. It was written by, I believe, uh, Robin and Barry Gibb. It was written by two out of the three Gibb brothers.
0: Three of two Bee Gees. Two, we, two, written two, by two Bee Gees. Two out of
1: the three Bee Gees wrote this song, Emotion, debuted in September of 2001, and it peaked at number 10 in December of 2001. The Bee Gees also recorded it, right? So the Bee Gees didn't originally record it. Samantha Sang did it, and I think it's on the... Ooh, it wasn't on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. I don't think it was. It was just a song that they wrote. And then eventually, at some point, much later, decades later, they eventually recorded their own version okay. of it. I was going to say, I swear to God, I've heard a version by the Bee Gees. It's on one of their greatest hits albums. Uh-huh. But it's, it, So the Bee Gees, much later in their career, um, put out um, a live album. I think it was called One Night Only. It was recorded in Vegas. And there they did live versions of songs like Islands in the Stream and... Um, Emotion and some other songs, and then they put out a greatest hits album later that had their own studio versions of those songs. The Bee Gees were kind of like Prince. In in a way, where like Prince in sort of the mid-80s had so much material that he was writing, he couldn't do it all himself, so he gave it to other people. right And the Bee Gees had that same sort of quote-unquote problem in the 70s <laughs> where they gave a lot of their material. Well not a lot, but they gave some of their material to other people. And then in the early 80s, sorry, now Bee Gees transition. In the early 80s when disco was deemed, you know, not commercial anymore and basically people were stupid and said that we don't like (laughs) disco or dance music anymore. So people like Donna Summer and the Bee Gees had to basically pivot in their careers. The Bee Gees basically became hit songwriters for other people, Mm. writing songs for Dionne Warwick and Islands in the Stream for Dolly and Kenny and other famous people. That had
0: successful covers. I think that was a fascinating tangent. All right. I got lots of them. (laughs) Uh, Katie, you're the next one. Okay. The next one is Survivor, which debuted in March 2001. And in April 2001, it peaked at number two. Mm -hmm. And I said to Keith, I am glad we didn't do this as a quiz, Katie, because if you had asked me, what four destiny's child songs hit number one on the hot 100 100 percent, i would have chosen survivor and it peaked at number two do you know keith what it was stuck behind at number one do
1: you want to know first can you guess how many weeks it was at oh. number two
0: i imagine it was a long while i'm gonna guess five weeks seven seven weeks and it was behind the same song
1: for all seven of those wow. weeks and all seven of those weeks were the song at number one's weeks at number one so the song at number one spent seven weeks at number one all directly in front of survivor
0: gasp okay what is that song
1: and i will say it is by someone that beyonce and likely kelly and michelle love oh interesting that's interesting like I, I know for a fact that I was at a concert for the person that was at number one, and Beyonce was in the audience. <gasps>
0: wow, who is it? Why can't I think? It's not, is it Madonna? No. <laughs> I was just like Keith. Was at the concert. Was it Madonna? Uh, who is it? What is it? Take another guess. Of, <sighs> can I get a? Can I get another hint? You're already you're, giving him. You're, you're,
1: you're in the. You're in the right world when you think the of the diva world. Yes. Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson there it with it is. All
0: for You. Oh, okay. That's crazy, though, that it was seven weeks yes. for
1: both. That's that's like the worst when, like, mm-hmm.
0: when, when either
1: something is stuck at number two for the exact same amount of time as the thing at number one is, like they both got to their peaks in the same week. Uh huh. Um, or the other way around, where something, like two songs, two or three songs are both like hurtling up the chart at the same time. Yeah. And then one. Like let's say like one it looks like they're he- heading for number one, and then something below it suddenly makes a big stride and yeah. jumps in front of it. Yeah, I say this because it's happened to
0: Madonna before. <laughs> like I, I think it
1: was, um, I think it was. will remember. Um, it was a ballad from Love that song. from um, the movie with honors that I don't think that many people saw. People remember the song more, but I'll remember Is was so f-
0: Pesci in that.
1: Yes. Yeah, I remember that. And movie. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, all I remember was jumping up the chart at the same time that out of the blue, that I Swear song oh, all by for one. All For One, yeah. like jumped in front of it.
0: Which I just learned was written by a country or was it first performed by, by a John country? By John Michael Montgomery. Yes, I literally just, we just had an article about this recently. I don't know what the context was, but yeah, I didn't realize that um, that was his song. There was a weird time
1: in sort of that, Like, late 90s era where, like, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing was recorded by Aerosmith, and then, like, Mark Chestnut did a cover of it. And then God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You was Mm. first in sync, and then it became an Alabama song.
0: I mean, it makes sense. It's like something that is a ballad translates so well between country (laughs) and, like, R&B slash pop. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so our final two songs are both number ones. So we've got we went through Say My Name and Independent Women Part One were their first two number ones or they weren't their first because this list is in no discernible order. (laughs) The next song that we're going to talk about is what made me fall in love with Destiny's Child. The song Bills, Bills, Bills. It debuted in June 1999 and it hit number one in July 1999. It was number one for a single week. And that week was probably when I was at summer camp in Evanston, <laughs> Illinois. When I literally went to like the Tower Records we could walk to from there, uh, or maybe it was a Virgin Megastore, a Tower a Virgin. Anyway, picked up, had to have this this CD. Needed Bills, Bills, Bills in my life, and played it like obsessively. And you bought the single. I bought the whole album. No, I bought the single. Oh, the single. And. It was, these are the three songs that I was obsessed with at that exact moment. Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child. Uh, wild West by Will Smith. Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. And um, By Lemos by Enrique Iglesias. All of them were number ones. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. In 1999, I yeah. would imagine. By Lemos, <laughs> uh, probably because I you all bought of all of them Lemos. from that Chicago area record store. So, anyway. What's our last one, Keith? Uh, well, the last one is Bootylicious. Oh.
1: Bootylicious. It debuted in June of 2001 and hit number one in August of 2001 and spent two weeks at number one. Fun fact about Bootylicious. What does it sample, Keith? It's. <laughs> 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 um, it samples uh, Edge of 17 mm-hmm. by Stevie Nicks. So uh, it has a co-write. Stevie Nicks has a co-write on a number one hit by Destiny's Child,
0: and she's in the music video too. She's in the music
1: video. If you watch the music video at the very beginning of it, and a little guitar. There's there's like there's like a one or two seconds of of Stevie Nicks strumming a guitar. I'm not sure if Stevie can play the guitar.
0: It all goes back. That doesn't matter here. And
1: and the sample is the um, (laughs) the very familiar like (laughs) the driving (laughs) intro guitar That, that basically goes throughout the entire song.
0: God, I wonder, I wonder how much money Stevie made off that. Oh, I hope a lot. But, I, but you know what? It also goes back to like, Stevie's very like, well-deserved reputation of supporting young female artists like throughout her career. Mm-hmm. And like, the fact that she was like, yeah, I'll show up to her music video. She didn't need to do that.
1: Yeah, but it also exposes Stevie Nicks to a whole expansive new group of Think fans. Think of all the
0: generations that know her from different weird entry points.
1: People know her from The Dixie
0: Chicks cover of Landslide. Oh my god, that's crazy. Or from hopping up on, you know, on stage at the Grammys with Taylor Swift or from she even showed up for like Grace Vanderwall on America's Got Talent or like, being on Miley Cyrus's last <laughs> Miley Cyrus album is, through a remix yep. or yeah, whoever's whoever's uh, managing Stevie's
1: doing a bang up job. I
0: think it's just Stevie. It's also
1: just Stevie. And I yes. think it's just her thing. Okay, so uh, Keith, you go for oh, the last yeah. part. So this this <laughs> is just a tidbit that I um, noticed that notably of Destiny's Child's ten top tens, nearly all of them were top three hits. So there were four number ones, one number two, four number threes, and then one number ten hit, which was their cover of Emotion.
0: Yeah, that is wild. They were just circling. They could have had so many more number ones, given the circumstances. Like, different changing circumstances. You know, it was just a different time.
1: That's how it is. All right, well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. This is a story about control. My control. Control of what I say control of what I do. This week in 1986, Janet Jackson just worked out that way, (laughs) hit number one for the first time on the Billboard 200 Albums Chart with her Control album. The set rose 3-1 to on the chart dated July 5th, 1986, and spent two consecutive weeks atop the list. Control was the first of so far seven number one albums for Janet. Control spun off six hit singles in the United States on the Hot 100, and five of them went top 10. They were, What Have You Done For Me Lately, Nasty, The Number One, When I Think Of You, Control, and Let's Wait A While. And then she had one more of those six that did not make the top 10, and it was The Pleasure Principle. Mm. I know, it sucks. That That doesn't
0: make any sense.
1: Pleasure Principle went to number 14. Wow. Sucks, I know. It's great, great,
0: great single. I mean, I, the fact that I can sing it and it didn't go top 10 in 1986. Do, 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 do.
1: <laughs> All right, well, Control would yield three Grammy Award nominations for it and its songs, including a nod for Album of the Year. It's Jackson's only album to be nominated for Album of the oh, Year. That's criminal. Although Jackson has a second nomination for Album of the Year as a producer on her brother Michael's history past, present, and future book one album, which was released in 1995. She has another connection to Michael and the album of the year category at the Grammys. Janet sang background vocals on Michael's Thriller album, which won the album of the year award at the Grammy Awards in 1984. Katie, can you guess what Hmm. song Janet sings backing vocals on the Thriller album? I definitely don't know this. I will give you a slight hint. I'd like a hint. It's her and Latoya and some other ladies. Are singing background on this track. Interesting. Like, think of like what song on the Thriller album that has? I was going to say, fe- "Want to be
0: starting something." That has
1: a bunch of female vocalists. Pyt. Pyt, Pretty like Young the Thing.
0: Pyt. That part. The Janet, S- etc.
1: I'm, I'm guessing the, the ladies that you hear are, the P-Y... the Pretty Young Things. Yeah, of course. But the one when he says Pretty Young Things, repeat after me. Say na 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 na
0: na. Nah, nah. nah,
1: there it is. Na 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 na. That's great. So Janet's in there somewhere. That's a fun fact. All right. So what's Janet up to now? Nah, well, she just played a concert at sort of the Essence Festival this past well weekend. Well received, well received. She looked amazing. Yep. Uh, she was in a, a, a head-to-toe a black bodysuit that had a bunch of...
0: Um, sort of glittery, shiny silver bits on it that was designed by the Blondes of New York, I believe. Well, and she was supposed to have uh, headlined us since two years ago when it got canceled. Oh. And so this is just like, it came back around so, finally. So it's a contractual makeup date? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, but it's cool that she stuck with it, right? Yeah. But a lot of the talk on Twitter was about how great the set list was. Just like the perfect mix hit. of hits and deep cuts and fan favorites and yeah. Oh yeah, I, I looked at the set list
1: and uh, I believe she did... I want to say I counted. I think there were like seventeen or nineteen top tens that she did from that one hundred.
0: Well, she's saying according to the set list, holy shit, twenty nine songs. Lots I of medleys mean, were there bits in there. I'm were sure bits, there was medleys. But still, whoa. Janet does medleys in her yeah, show. but like you don't expect at a festival set that you're going to get dozens of songs from a person. Jan- Janet, Janet, don't play around. She doesn't play. Nope. Um... All right.
1: So as for new music, though, she hasn't actually released a new studio album in nearly seven years since the chart topping Unbreakable in 2015. In early 2020, she announced a forthcoming album that was titled Black Diamond that was due for release later that year, along with a
0: tour. You're probably going to put the Essence Fest headlining set
1: all in the mix of that. Probably. But then, you know, COVID happened recently in the Lifetime documentary about Janet that aired... Uh, Earlier this year. The album was teased again, indicating that it was due mm-hmm. later this year.
0: Did we did we get any new music at Essence? I don't think I heard anything about that. I don't like think she, unreleased songs? I don't think
1: she played any new songs at okay. Essence. Um,
0: Janet's last proper
1: song release was in 2018 with Made For Now featuring Daddy Yankee. Though there was a snippet of a new song called Love I Love, which was heard at the end of the Lifetime documentary that concluded in yes. early February, but we haven't heard the full version of right. that track. Right, but I, people were pumped about that little snippet. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it. This week in 1986, Janet Jackson's Control hit number one on the Billboard
0: 200. Wow, what, a, what an album. I the one in
1: All right. We've reached the end of our show. Uh, I have one more quiz, Katie. Oh, can't get out of here without another quiz, Katie. Nope. Uh, it's funny. I was like, oh, are we going to have enough for 25 minutes? Oh, yeah, do you worry. I guess we did. We did. Uh, one more. And uh, also, people are wondering, why do we say 25 minutes? It's like we put some sort of arbitrary arbitrary number on ourselves. Kind our of like the
0: Order of My Destiny's Child <laughs> <laughs> top ten <laughs> It's
1: Oh, wow. The word of the day is arbitrary. Arbitrary. (laughs) A-R. All right. So one more quiz, Katie. Katie, Michael and Janet are the only two of the nine siblings in the Jackson family, as in the children of Joe and Katherine Jackson, to have number one albums on the Billboard 200. But- can you name the one other Jackson sibling
0: to have a solo top ten album on the Billboard 200? I gotta go with Latoya. She was already announced or mentioned on this. No, not the. No. One. Okay, I'm gonna go with Tito. <laughs> Are you actually thinking about this before you say these words? Listen, I. Uh, who
1: who I, is immediately there should be who is like the next biggest Jackson?
0: Oh, to me, like I literally would say Latoya or Tito because I did not May live it, during this name era. A Tito hit. Oh, I can't. It's, Nora okay. Latoya hit. Okay, I can't name a hit from anybody other than Michael and Janet. My eyes are so
1: wide right now.
0: Well, listen, I bet anybody who else who was born in the '80s probably can relate to my. Lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to... Uh, I know there's a Randy because he's not the American <laughs> Idol judge. <laughs> Isn't there a Jermaine? Is Jermaine a- Jackson. <laughs> you got it on the
1: fourth try. So Jermaine Jackson uh, uh, hit the top ten on the Billboard 200 with Let's Get Serious. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, that sounds like fun song. <laughs> picked at number six in 1980.
0: Jermaine, we're very sorry. sorry. No, Jermaine, listen, I am not throwing any shade. It's my complete ignorance. Complete and utter ignorance.
1: I mean, you don't know uh, his amazing song, uh, When the Rain Starts to Fall, from uh, with Pia Zadora?
0: Oh, no. I absolutely <laughs> do not know that. I know but, the
1: name Pia Zadora.
0: Okay. To be honest,
1: that really wasn't a big hit. But Let's Get Serious was <laughs> did we a big know,
0: hit. Did we know that Pia Zadora and the Singing Nun were going to be like the... <laughs> The the touch points of the show. (laughs) There was an amazing
1: song that Jermaine did with Michael in 1984. I think it was 1984. It could have been 1983 uh, from Jermaine's album that was released that year. And it was called Tell Me I'm Not Dreamin'. Okay. And uh, looking back now, it is criminal that that song was not released as a single mm. because it was Jermaine and Michael together on a oh, really, geez. really cool song.
0: Do you think it was like uh, Jermaine trying to make a name for himself? Here's the thing. <laughs> if we be- if we believe the internet uh-huh. and what
1: Wiki tells us, okay. uh, basically uh, there were like sort of contractual label, you know, negotiations and drama where... Um, apparently Michael's label at the time would not let Jermaine's label release it as oh, a single. Okay. And so it was just an album track. Oh. And they performed it together on the Jackson's Victory Tour uh, when that tour happened in like 84 or 85. It was a big reunion tour. And so oh. anyway, but it's a great song. You should go listen to it. And yeah. Clearly we should go out on Tell Me I'm Not Dreaming. Is that <laughs> what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, obviously,
0: because <laughs> the people need to hear it.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.